Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly, and I've got another Missing Monday episode for you guys. If you're new to the podcast, Missing Mondays is a segment that was created to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media the best we can and to help aid in their return home. 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. at any given time, and while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. Sometimes these episodes are shorter due to the lack of information that is really out there on these missing persons cases, but here at Crimeaholics, we believe no matter the amount of details, it's still important to share and remember those who are missing. Because to their families, their absence of their loved one is still so profound. On this episode, I will be going over the details of the disappearance of Michael McLean. Michael McLean had a few nicknames. His father referred to him as Man. Apparently, this started when Michael was just a little boy. His father referred to him as Little Man, and as Michael began to grow into an adult, his father dropped the little and just kept calling him Man. On Michael's Facebook, his name on there was Mike Nice. According to the stories of the unsolved, Mike grew up in Stamford, Connecticut. His parents, Edward and Paula, were extremely close to their son, and his mother even referred to him as the sunshine of her life. At some point, Mike would move to New Hampshire, and he graduated high school in 2008. Those who knew Mike described him as a jokester and full of life. Mike enjoyed all sports, but basketball was his favorite. After he graduated high school, he attended Mount Washington College in Manchester, New Hampshire, and obtained his bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Mike was known to have a big heart and was extremely compassionate and caring. He was hired on at a place called Easter Seals, which is a nonprofit organization in New Hampshire, and there he worked with children with disabilities, specifically children with autism. On Saturday, April 20th, 2019, Mike and two of his friends went to a nightclub called the Tropical Lounge located on West Hollis Street in Nashua, New Hampshire. Now, Nashua is only about a 25-minute drive south from Manchester, where Mike was living. While at this nightclub, a fight between two women would break out, and what started as a verbal altercation was then taken outside of the nightclub, where the two women escalated their fight to becoming physical. Naturally, the crowd formed around the two women, and Mike tried to break the fight up to no avail. When the crowd finally dispersed, Mike was nowhere to be found. The friends he had gone to the nightclub with looked all over for Mike, but they couldn't find him. They decided to give it some more time, thinking that he would just turn up eventually, and they waited for him about 45 minutes. When Mike didn't show up, they went ahead and left the nightclub and found that Mike's car was still parked on Orange Street, which is where Mike and his friends had left it. Now, this is where I have a few questions. The location in which they had left his car was about a mile's walk to the nightclub. 
And I'm not sure if this was where he and his friends were going to be staying for the night or just the only place that they could find parking. But either way, the distance was a mile from the car to the nightclub and you had to cross a bridge that went over the Nashua River. They did try to call Mike on his phone, but it went to voicemail. Naturally, they were concerned about their friend, but they really weren't sure what they could do or what they should do next. However, when Mike didn't show up for work that following Monday, the realization of the severity of the situation really sank in. Mike was an extremely dependable person, and he would never not show up to work without giving his bosses some sort of notice. Mike was reported missing on April 22, 2019. Immediately, the search began around the area of the nightclub, and they searched around the river, wooded areas, and at the surrounding businesses. Missing persons flyers were hung as well as handed out, and his family and friends really did all that they could to find him. But despite their efforts, Mike and any of his belongings weren't found. As the search into what happened to Michael McLean ramped up, authorities were able to access phone data as well as surveillance footage from different areas from that night. And this is where things get really questionable. There's things that really don't seem to line up between what the police say and what friends of Michael are saying. So we're just kind of kind of piece it together from what we know the best that we can. So according to the Find Mike McLean website, Michael left the Tropical Lounge and was one of the last patrons for the night sometime around 1.45 a.m., which this makes it now April 21st in the early morning hours. At the time that he was leaving the lounge, he was alone. Michael then was spotted at a McDonald's that was half a mile away from the Tropical Lounge. To get to this McDonald's, Michael would have had to travel east down Hollis Street, and it was a direct shot from the lounge to the McDonald's. Now, Mike was seen at this McDonald's sometime between 2 and 2.30 a.m., and there's several different reports that states that a witness had seen Mike there at 2.30, and it was said that he was either exiting or entering the building. And it wasn't clear which the witness said, but someone did in fact see him there. There is also a report that Mike was seen on cameras at this McDonald's. But one thing that is slightly frustrating about this case is the fact that no surveillance footage of Michael from that night has been released. But police do claim that they have some. Now, Given the amount of time that has passed since Michael has gone missing, we're going on three years, I would have thought that maybe they would have released at least a still shot from that night to help jog anyone's memory of potentially seeing him. But again, none of that that I could find has been released by the police. What we do know for sure is that Mike's phone did in fact 100% ping at that McDonald's location. It was also found out that after leaving the Tropical Lounge and apparently before getting to the McDonald's, Mike made a mysterious phone call to his supervisor from work. 
He made this call at 1.49 a.m., which at first I was thinking, holy cow, I could not believe that he was calling his boss at that hour. But apparently Mike and her were friends, and they had this relationship where if Mike had needed something, he could call her and she would be there. So Mike had previously been known to call her for rides and stuff after a night of drinking. But what is weird is what Mike said during this call to his boss, and it will make you wonder why exactly it was her that he called instead of someone within his family or those friends that he had been with. According to his father, he isn't sure whether Mike really did in fact mean to call his boss or if he was just frantically calling anyone he could click on. This call lasted 2 minutes and 16 seconds. And on this call, he said to his boss, quote, they're chasing me and there's more than one, end quote. And I'm not sure how this call ended. I'm not sure if he hung up, if the call dropped, if it was disconnected some weird way. But the boss tried to call Mike back immediately at 1.51 a.m. and he did not answer. She tried to call him again at 2.25 a.m. and again he didn't answer. She also had sent him two text messages, one at 1.54 a.m. and one at 2.18 a.m. and both would go unanswered. What is interesting, though, is that despite him not replying back to his boss, Mike was still using his phone and he sent out several text messages after he had spoke to her, but none of them was to her. And from my understanding, which again, there is a lot of confusion surrounding this timeline, this is during the time that his boss was still trying to call him back and texting him. The first text message that he sent out was at 1.55 a.m. and reads, quote, help, LOL, R, end quote. At 1.56 a.m., a second text message went out that read, whatcha stood aloof. At 2.15, he sends a third text message that reads, Eldridge, bro. Now, the only thing that is somewhat logical with these text messages is that Eldridge text. Eldridge is the name of a street that was very close to the Tropical Lounge. So maybe he was trying to text someone to tell them where he was or something. At 2.18 a.m., a text went out from his phone that said, F-U-C-K space, I, space, B-I-T-X-U. Now, it seems like this was a wrongly written text, and we can kind of gather that maybe he was trying to say, F-U, bitch. The fact that some of these text messages are slightly incoherent would lead you to believe that maybe Mike had drank too much at the nightclub. But a lot of people question and wonder that maybe these texts were just frantically written as he was running from someone since he stated to his boss on the phone that people were chasing him. According to his father, Edward, these text messages would all go to one of his neighbors, as well as two more additional text messages sent at 2.25 a.m. and again at 2.27 a.m. This 2.27 a.m. text message would be the final time that Mike's phone would either send or receive any text messages. And that leads us to wonder if maybe his phone had died or it was destroyed somehow. 
So now getting back to the route that Mike is believed to have taken. After leaving that McDonald's, Mike continued down West Hollis and stopped at a gas station called Speedway, where he had apparently asked to use the phone. Whether he actually made a phone call or not is unsure, but he did for sure go inside and speak with someone. After stopping at the Speedway gas station, Mike continued down East Hollis Street and was spotted on surveillance footage at the residence at Riverfront Landing Apartment Complex, and this apartment complex was located at 11 Bancroft Street. Authorities say that you can see Mike entering the complex, and his father says from the video clips that they have seen, it does not appear that Mike is intoxicated or in any kind of distress. Then Mike can be seen leaving out of the parking garage at the rear of the complex at 3.23 a.m. on April 21st, 2019. And this would be the last sighting of Mike McLean. When you walk out of the back of this parking garage, there is a driveway and a patch of grass. And then beyond that, there is a body of water. Police have told Edward that Mike likely walked into the water and met his fate. But according to Edward, it wasn't like you could just walk directly into the water. There was a lot of different obstacles that would prevent you from just falling in, including a basin and a wooded area. His father states that Mike would have had to have gone around some trees, through a wooded area, up a hill, and down a rocky hill just to get to the water. He believes there is no way his son would have done that. The last video of Mike walking out that direction at 3.23 a.m. is really hard to see. There is no indication that shows which way Mike went. He just simply vanishes into the darkness. And unfortunately, that's practically all of the information that is out there on this case. Like a lot of missing persons cases, there's a ton of questions that are left unanswered. We really don't know Michael's state of mind. We don't know if he was intoxicated. We don't know if he was really truly scared because maybe there really was people that were chasing him or what exactly was going on in his mind. We also don't know what would lead Michael to that apartment complex on Bancroft Street. Did someone tell him to go there? Was he just lost and thought that was the way to his car or maybe to his home? Then comes the question of that text about Eldridge. Mike's father truly believes that that Eldridge text was because he was on or near that street. He also believes that something caused him to travel to that Eldridge road. And I know it's really hard to imagine kind of the layout of what I'm describing, and I'll make sure to put up a map so you guys can get a better understanding. But from that tropical lounge, Mike would have had to have turned down Main Street and walked a bit to even be able to see the street sign of Eldridge. This street sign was not one that you could see from the lounge, and Mike wasn't familiar enough with this area to have known that this street was even there. So Edward thinks that Mike was somehow forced, pushed, or directed down that area to have even been in that area at all. Police say that they think Mike had made a straight shot from the lounge to McDonald's, but Edward thinks that he left the lounge, turned left onto Main Street, 
crossed the road to Eldridge, and then while on Eldridge Street, gone down that and turned right onto Spring Street, which then led him back to West Hollis, where he then could make it to the McDonald's. Edward also believes that maybe the McDonald's was some kind of safe haven for Mike if he felt that he truly was being followed. This was just about the only place that was open 24-7, and maybe Mike went there to wait it out. When thinking about who would be following Mike that night, it came out that though Mike had not been a part of that altercation that broke out at the lounge between the two women, he did in fact know one of the women. And the woman and him had been dancing together earlier in that evening. It also came out that one of her ex-boyfriends happened to be at the lounge that evening as well. So maybe this sparked something in that guy, and he felt he wanted to chase down Mike and something happened. According to Mike's family, when he did go out with friends, he was never a wild and heavy drinker. Sure, he would casually drink, and he often called his boss to pick him up after a night of drinking, but that's because Mike was a respectable and responsible individual. He knew not to drink and drive, and he knew that if he did, it could cost him his career and much more. And his parents also do not believe that he looked intoxicated on that security footage that they have been able to view. Of course, the text messages that don't really make any sense kind of have you questioning whether he truly was or was not intoxicated. And just because he didn't have a history of heavily drinking doesn't actually mean that that night he didn't. I also want to note that the police have never released any kind of information about other individuals being seen on the security footage with or near Michael at any of the places that he stopped that night. And this could be because there wasn't anyone, but this could also be that they're holding back this information. However, when reading the most recent articles on this case, it seems that the police truly believe that it was an accidental situation. In an article published on Patch.com in April of this year, 2021, it states that there has been no new information about Michael or his whereabouts. It states that according to Lieutenant Patrick Hannon of the Nashua Police Department, they have ruled out some scenarios and they do not suspect foul play or anything suspicious in nature. The article quotes Hannon saying that they're confident with the investigation they've done and it is not criminal in nature. They do not suspect that Mike took his own life because there was no flags to indicate any distress in his life. There was no note, he had no debt, and he had no health issues. The case is still an open and ongoing investigation and they do continue to receive leads which they follow. The article states that there was a car that appeared to have stopped near Mike on one of the surveillance cameras, and it appeared that there was people inside that he knew. But he didn't get into the car, and the car eventually left, and he continued walking along East Hollis Street. The investigators on this case truly believe that Mike had fallen into the Merrimack River, since he wasn't familiar with the area and he was walking. According to the Patch.com article, on that same night, an incident had occurred on the Hudson side of the Merrimack River. Witnesses had reported hearing cries for help from the Nashua side. 
They did have personnel search the riverbank and dive teams came in to search the water as well and found nothing. They say that at the time that Mike had gone missing, the river had a very strong current and a ton of excess water due to snow melting from the north. Lieutenant Hannon said that they may never be able to find Mike and that his body may be caught up in something in the river. Many people speculate that his disappearance could be connected to two women who have gone missing from Nashua since. April Bailey went missing in January of 2020 and Amanda Grzywski also went missing in March of 2020. But Lieutenant Hannon denies the possibility of the three cases being connected. Michael Anthony McLean has been missing since the early morning hours of April 21, 2019. At the time of his disappearance, he was 29 years old. He will now be turning 32 years old this coming year. He is an African-American male with black hair and brown eyes, but he sometimes wore green contacts. At the time of his disappearance, his hair was styled in cornrow braids and he had a goatee. He is 5'10 and weighs 190 pounds. On the night that Mike disappeared, he was wearing a black t-shirt with a white logo, jeans, red and white sneakers, one or two gold chain necklaces, and a bracelet and a watch. Mike also has multiple tattoos on his arms and his ears are pierced. If you or anyone you know has any kind of information about Michael McLean's whereabouts, you can contact the Nashua Police Department at 603-594-3500. If you're not already a part of our private Facebook group, make sure you join by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. I will have pictures of Mike as well as the map of all of the locations I described posted in the group. Also, make sure you follow us on crimeaholics.podcast on both Instagram and on TikTok. This coming Friday, we have a special episode that will be coming to you from a friend of mine who also has a podcast. Her name is Leah from Least of These, and this case she is allowing me to share with you guys is absolutely wild. I hope that you all have a safe and wonderful New Year's Eve. And Crimeaholics, as always, remember to be aware and take care. Mm-hmm.